Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Brian Shea is a full-time author, now published by Severn River Publishing. He writes thriller novels that have been described by his readers as raw, emotional, genuine, even humanizing of its antagonists, while at the same time continuing to be fast-paced and entertaining. His books are informed by his real-world experiences in the U.S. Navy and later as a detective. Brian Shea, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I appreciate it. Hey, it's a pleasure. I got to hear you on uh, Writers on the Beat podcast recently, and I thought, here's a guy who who just naturally seems to go deep in conversation, and I thought that would be a great fit for the podcast and the audience. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out. I was uh, I, I was happy to, that, that you caught that one and then uh, look forward to, to going a little deeper on, on some of those topics with you. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we just like like hit right into it? Like tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I've, you know, I've spent a good majority of my life in uh, kind of the public service realm between uh, military service early on after graduating college to uh, did a little stint in law enforcement about four shy of four years out in Texas. Uh, taught school for five years between there. Um, in Georgia and then in inner city Hartford and then uh, spent the last eight uh, as a, as a police officer in Connecticut where I was uh, at two different departments and had kind of a, a pretty varied and, uh, and great experience. Uh, and, that. and then I took a shot last year, wrote some books and then made the leap of faith this March and left law enforcement to pursue writing full time. So, wow. Congratulations. Hopefully I can keep the lights on. That's my, that's my goal this year. Keep the lights on, you know, keep the lights on. That's a good one. (laughs) Um, Well, you must've made an informed leap. I would assume. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I hope I did. I, I, uh, my, my wife is brutally honest with me and, and, you know, I, I asked her to, she's read all my work, all my work. And even though it's kind of out of genre for her, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I said, just be honest. Cause we're, I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice big with this one and, uh, and make the move to writing. So don't, don't tell me something is good or you like it. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if you don't, cause it could, it can end badly, uh, financially for us. So she's been a hundred percent supportive of this decision and, uh, and it's good to have her in my corner. So. Well, great. Congratulations. And it's nice to hear that you have that support. I think that's an important part yeah. of a successful journey when you're in a family. Um, does this leap of, leap of faith, does it feel different from leaps you've made before? So I've, uh, I mean, I guess different, um, in that I'm, I'm solely working for me now. Right. So every decision I make or every move I make, or I get up and I'm feeling lazy and I, I don't put forth the effort I need to, 
to do to, to meet my mental quota or my, my personal daily best for riding, hmm. um, it's, it's all on me. Um, whereas before, some of my leaps may have been to transition from one job to another or take a risk uh, in, a, in a different pr- profession. Um, but uh, nothing, each of those came with like just a financial safety net, right? You were going from one job to another. Well, maybe that challenge in and of itself is unique. You know, some people wouldn't have switched from uh, law enforcement to school uh, teaching fifth grade, right? But right. Uh, once you make the leap, it, you know, you, you get past it and there's a, it's pretty much a continuous paycheck, right? Whether right. it's big or small, it's just there. Uh, whereas this leap is financially a little more scary than, than others, uh, just because I, I obviously want to make it all work. Um, but as far as, I think it's probably the most exciting hmm. uh, journey I've taken so far in in that regard because i have i do have total control over the stuff that i do and i'm doing something i absolutely love right and so with that i think comes my wife said something really great to me the other night she said you know you might be one of those few people that in the in the end of all this uh can look back and say you are doing what you love and 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 you're happy doing it and then the success obviously if it follows would be those are those are i mean it's a rare thing right it's not not many people get it a lot of people wish for it and and hopefully i'll be lucky enough to uh to look back and say it was the right move at the right time well i i suspect regardless of the outcome um that it is the right thing for you to be kind of honoring your passions and spending your time you know, in a way that's exciting and stimulating and you're showing up fully and those are exciting things. And of course you'll learn along the way as, as we all do. And I suspect that it may be tough to consider going back to a lifestyle where you're not doing that. Yeah. I mean, the creative energy uh, that comes when uh, I was writing a scene right uh, right before we started this podcast, and uh, it, it's it takes me a second to disconnect um, yeah. because I'm I'm actually in someone else's mind, fictional or not, and I'm I'm in another place. Like I was actually in a bar, uh, a, a small town bar in Colorado, in this conversation, and I was a female character, and I just thought it's such a unique thing. You're trying to you're you're somebody else, and all of a sudden you have to snap back to reality. Uh, but it is such an amazing thing because I can create, or whatever kind of whim I have, or, or something catches my my mental thoughts, uh, you know, my my mental radar, and I was like, what what could I do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really exciting, and it's very energizing. I mean, it has its highs and lows, as you know, with like writing. You in the creative, you have those moments of just absolute euphoria, and then moments of like serious self-doubt like is this story any good what did i just do uh so it's definitely got highs and lows um you definitely need i think a supportive partner to to carry you past that Mm -hmm. um you know writers who are kind of an island to themselves i think you could fall apart in that regard you have to think really embrace the community embrace you know, have, have a good support network in hand. Uh, otherwise it can be kind of mentally cost, uh, cost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And 
I'm glad you you bring all that up. And I'm curious, Brian, as far as it sounds like you're really getting into it, right? When you're writing, like you're going, you're going deep. Um, maybe those creative blocks, like you found a way around that. Um, was it always easy for you to go in deep or is this somewhere that you've kind of arrived at through a process? So uh, it definitely is a process. I think every writer has to go through their own journey. You could read like 60 books on how to write uh, the Mm -hmm. great American novel. Right. And then until you actually put pen to paper or conceptualize that story and then shift and, and develop characters and, plot lines and twists, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, until you go through it, 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 it can only be learned through doing. I, I truly believe. And I, I talked to a bunch of writers and everybody approaches the, the problem, the equation differently. But for me, I have uh, a belief that you can't let writing come in um, bursts of waiting for my muse or that perfect time or, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go to the beach and look out a beautiful window and begin my my uh, epic tale with that setting in the background. No, it never works that way, I, I don't think. But what I like to do is I force myself to write every day, whether I want to write or not, mm-hmm. on days where I've got a headache or days where I'm stressed out or I force myself to write. And I find that some days it is, it's a slow start. But mm. once I get past that first hour, mm. I am not where I am anymore. Like mentally, I am somewhere else. And then it, it, it kicks in. And you can I, write through the block would be my, you know, if I've ever read a blog. I tried blogging once. I'm awful at it. So uh, I wrote like four blogs on a, on a web page. I just gave up. But, <laughs> but that, you know, one of the things I, I found, too, is taking a walk, physical break. Mm. Um, and what worked for me is I would brainstorm in the mornings. I would take my daughters to school that, you know, were blessed to live in like a, a walking distance kind of from school environment. And so I would walk them in the 15 minutes there. I'm with them and totally engaged. And on the way back, because it, it break, you know, you can't concentrate when you're around your kids, right? So no. I, I'm completely distracted, mentally distracted. I get to school, I say goodbye to them. And now I'm alone for the 10, 15 minute walk back. And in right. that walk back, it's amazing what starts to fire in your brain. And then um, I'm able to come back, sit down and then just drive forward. That, that was probably the best way early on mm-hmm. to, to drive through a, a mental block. And then now I think I'm at a place where writing is, is a job, right? I have to write every day um, and everything is banking on that. Now are some days better than others? Absolutely. Do I have days where I hit 7,000 words in a day? Yep. So I have days where I hit like a thousand and then I look at myself and like, what am I doing? You know, then those are, those are real things. But if one word goes down on a page that day, you're you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. If one word goes on the page. Yeah. I like that. Hopefully more than one. (laughs) And, And how much, how much of that kind of like hard work ethos do you think comes from your, your background with the military? I think, uh, I mean, I think everything, if you're an absor- like an absorber of life, like you take in the goods and the bads that life has to offer, mm. you can channel some of that 
into other things. And so what I've tried to do, and I've not lived a perfect life and, and I've had some challenges and I've faced some of them uh, early on in my military career. And I've, I've faced them in law enforcement I've faced them as a, as a teacher I faced them as a parent. Mm. And I try to take all of that and, uh, and then just kind of put like a don't fail, never fail attitude on it mm. and learn from it. You know, every setback, if you use it, really isn't a setback. It's just fuel for something bigger. Mm. Right? There's a lot of great, like, athletes and writers and uh, actors and whatever, you know, but people who have achieved certain levels, uh, businessmen that have risen the ranks, and they, they will all tell you a story or many stories of, of what's deemed, like, by our culture as a failure, right? But most of those people, the reason why they're successful is they they don't let it swallow them. They take that setback and they say, all right, and they they self-evaluate, they learn from it, they're stronger because of it. It's like breaking a bone. Right. You know, that bone, when it resets, is stronger than it was before it was broken. And so I've been broken many a time in my life. Mm. And I think in the rebuild process, I am a stronger version of me than I ever was. And that's how I kind of approach this right now with a never fail attitude because all those breaks in my body and in my, you know, you know, your personal life, those are now like the foundations for some great characters. Mm. Uh, and they're just, they're, they're also, uh, I just won't, I can't fail the people that now depend on me most. Right. So those things drive me forward on the, on the slower lazy days. And then I just never am complacent. If one mm. book did really well and I, you know, some people like to slow down. I can't. So, yeah, I so think someday I'd like to. Yeah. So you're, you, <laughs> yeah. I guess you get to you get to choose, right? And based on what you want to bring into your life, and that kind of brings me to you talking about that never fail attitude. So, maybe framing it in a positive way. If the opposite of failure is success, what is success? Um. You know, I, I, I guess it, it, success is not, I don't know, in my, in my mind, it's not a, a true tangible mm. uh, because once you reach, uh, so uh, I'll take writing, for example. So I reached, um, like I, I, I published a book, right? I put a book out and, and for some people that is, that's a success, right? And, and at the time it was for me doing it. Yeah. And then I learned a lot from that process and then, um, and then I put book two out and I thought, wow, book two is hard because I put so much into book one. How do you write a second book? There's a lot of people that mm. never write a book that have started and have these, uh, half written stories all over the place. There's mm. others that have written one and just cannot seem to hurdle the second. Right. And I think with each one of those comes its own, uh, its own level of success. And then what I do is I take from it and I just say, well, I, I want a better success next time around. Right. So I find people that at the time are in my, or, or, you know, are my vision of success, right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're writers that are out there. They're uh, you know, they've got a, a excellent work ethic. Um, they're obviously very financially successful because I don't care what people say when money is not an issue. Uh, you can deal with a lot of other issues. You know what I mean? When you take that off the plate, 
you can really focus on some other things. And, uh, you know, we're definitely, you know, it's still at that early stages, but I know what's possible. And I, I've decided that I'm going to, to be one of those people. So mm. just time on target will we'll bring that around, you know? Right. So it sounds like a lot of that success is, is the action itself, right. And setting targets and, moving toward it and independent of the outcome you're moving forward you're learning you're striving um and all the while you're keeping in mind you know it wasn't the word you said but it seems like you've got these role models that you're maybe looking to to learn from as well to help you set those targets oh yeah i mean i, I will say it's the writing community is so different from any other in my 20 plus years of, of working life. The mm. writing, I've never been in, around a group of people as uniquely um, and, and as, as genuinely like willing to help you succeed. Like I've been in mm. places and a lot of jobs and I'm sure people that are listening will, will relate that a lot of your jobs are set up with like, if you fall, I'll step on your back to get just a little bit higher, right? right. Or I, I, they, they, they pretend like they're sad for you when something bad happens, but they're like, oh, yes, that means I'm going to look better today. Or, you know what I mean? There's that whole right. like mentality of like, if, if things don't work out for you, that means it's, things are potentially better for me. Right. Whereas the writing community, and you'll hear this time and time again from from the biggest names of writing to, to people just getting started is like, if you reach out to a writer uh, and you ask them, Hey man, I just, uh, I'm just getting started. I have a question on this. Uh, it, more times than not, they will respond to you. I mean, every once in a while you, you get shuffled off or the person's so big that they, you're never really actually connecting with them. them but right. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, it's their, rep or whatever but for the most part these people are just amazing and i have been truly blessed with the uh, circle of authors that have done so much for me as far as uh guidance as far as setting me up with uh, uh you know savvy editors great great people to like tweak and clean up my my work you know because every writer is is nothing without a good editor right you just need right. that person I mean, you can look at your stuff a thousand times for two years and you put it out in the world you'll you'll see you missed a lot right, right. so you need that eye that and you know cover designers wisdom on how to promote yourself i mean this is when i was uh uh, uh more on the indie side I, I i was you know constantly trying to learn the marketing aspect of 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 selling books and hmm. but they will help you i mean it, you know it, it's just amazing and and then content wise too just the feedback and the insight um hmm. writers are an amazing group of people i'm, I'm that's the, the other part i i had a, a recent experience where i got to sit down face to face with like 18 of these awesome amazing people and just listening to them i walked away with so much you know hmm. like just I, you know, being like kind of, I call it the low man on the total pole, like the new guy in the, in the group. It was, it was truly astounding what I, I, I am a better writer now from that little, little bit of time. I write faster, cleaner, more organized by plotting just so many things that they have just learned and honed over the years. And as a writer, you have to constantly be learning. 
Yeah. You can never rest on your laurels. You can never, uh, this, uh, a great guy who says, you, just, you can't believe your own, your own BS. You know, you, you, you had some, you can't start just sitting back saying, yeah, I'm great. Right. Cause the minute you start doing that, you become disconnected with the readers, with the people that matter. And you stop listening to the people that are out there reading your stuff. And, and it's super important. So I read every review, mm-hmm. good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, I take everything good, bad, or indifferent with a grain of salt. But if there's some content, some true things to think about, then I try to, to see that. I look at other writers' reviews too, to see what the, what the people need, right? What yeah. they're, what they're asking their writers to give them. And I try to, as best I can give people what they want. Right. And so you're, you've got these role models, you've got this great community that feels supportive. You feel like you've got help. Yeah. People pushing you along. Um, You're doing everything you can to be informed. And does that help kind of with feeling solid about your plan, being self-employed and moving forward? Yeah. And, and so I got, I got picked up, uh, uh, by a publishing house, uh, uh SRP or uh, what we call it, uh, Severn River Publishing. And mm-hmm. they have, uh, the experience has been amazing because now I focus on the craft of writing, right? Before mm-hmm. I had to do like my day was broken up where in the morning I would do before or when my kids were up, I would do like some emails. I would get, uh, some stuff done. When they went off to school, I would do a block of writing. And then after kind of the lunch hour, I'd take a break and I would do ad marketing and check uh, advertisements, create new advertisements, see which ones were spending, see which ones were costing me. Right. Mm-hmm. And going through this, it was just like a never ending battle. And I was constantly on my phone and constantly checking updates and ranks. And so now uh, with my publisher handling the brunt of everything, mm-hmm. um, my job is is to write, right? So I write, and it's now my day is filled with. Every once in a while, I, you know, check some things, but it's really I'm not I'm not worried about it anymore. I I worry about the craft, and mm-hmm. and I think it's changed my writing because I am more relaxed. I when I go to write, uh, they uh, I've been connected with an amazing editor through them that is, you know, I I, I hate to use throw the term, but a genius when it comes to looking at uh, a product in its developmental stages. So all these things have just made, and I, hopefully the readers that are, have read my works and uh, are see the growth, right. And then my latest works that are becoming out sooner, I think they'll find I've, I've taken my writing to the next level and I continually want to do that. Right? Mm. And, and I've noticed you've, you've definitely created this feedback group and been able to see that you have resonance with an audience um yeah you've you've got over a thousand reviews on goodreads and that's quite an accomplishment in itself and you've only been writing for a little while so it's really impressive um one of the things i noticed from the reviews was that you're it sounds like if i were to read the reader reviews that you get into as much as the external story, that kind of internal game with the characters and the emotion and the journey, and there's some nuance and depth there. Um, is there some kind of mission you're trying to accomplish with your stories, kind of subversively or otherwise? 
So with the, the first series that I wrote, um, which is the Nick Lawrence series, the one that's out kind of right now, hmm. uh, five, five books and then like a short story uh, intro uh, prequel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so what I did is I took with each story, I took an, uh, an element of uh, realistic kind of crime. Um, like, so book one deals with domestic uh, terror attack. Mm-hmm. Book two, human trafficking. Three, I do a serial killer spin. Um, four was uh, about violent extremism in schools. Mm. And five deals with the opiate epidemic in, in uh, the Northeast. And so, <clears throat> so you're talking, I try to take some, you're talking yeah. big themes here. Yeah. So those are my overarching big themes. And I like to expose um, people to stuff maybe they don't know much about. Right. And, and those I have experience with with all of that stuff at some level or some degree. So I, I hope to provide some or much, you know, as much realism as I can. Mm. Uh, well, so, you know, obviously putting out a thriller pace in the setting um, that that keeps it fun, even though it's maybe a heavy topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my wife said something to me after reading the fifth book, which was she was talking about, uh, you know, she obviously we live in the Northeast. She knows that the and I worked in narcotics uh, for a couple of years. So she mm-hmm. knows uh, she's heard some of my stories, more of the comedic versions. Right. right. Uh, but. You know, so people are aware here because the overdose deaths and, and things are, are are pretty well known. But I wrote a scene that was uh, from a heroin addict's perspective, and 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 she thought that that was really unique because there were some details since the way things work and and just some things about the drug and the nature of the drug and the types of people that get sucked into it uh, that she thought was really kind of really opened her eyes to some things. And that's what I hope that while people, I want them to enjoy the story. Hopefully when they close the book, it's maybe a conversation starter or opens a discussion or it, it makes them think about it after they put it away. Right. Like nothing is better than that movie or that book or that TV show that you, you're the whole next day or the next week, or you're telling somebody about it. It's like constantly grinding in your, in your, in your mind. Like that's, that's what I hope to achieve. Right. Um, and, and you know maybe maybe that'll be the case uh, with these books and the, the new series. I try to do the uh, same thing, highlight some stuff. It's, it's it deals with death, but I always put underlying. It's I mean it's a homicide detective in Boston. The series is set in Boston, uh, the new one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those that I, I try to put in some real world uh, crime aspects uh, f- from my from my personal past as far as. Uh, casework and, and, and personal knowledge, but so that it reads real and then maybe some exposure for people that read and like that kind of, that genre, you know? Yeah. It sounds like maybe one thing that's setting apart what you're trying to do and what you're doing is that you're humanizing not only the victims, but perhaps the antagonists as well. Um, And I imagine that in your journey as a detective, um, that you had a lot of exposure and deep contact with people, right? Who have maybe had their life lives go off the rails. And can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, so uh, when I, uh, I, and I worked in a lot of uh, a wide variety of, of 
things in law enforcement. And I, one of the things I will say is that, you know, uh, TV and movies paint like bad guys as these just, they're black and white. The good guys are over here. The bad guys are over there. Mm. Uh, you know, whereas I found that not really to be the case. I mean, I will say I worked in a unit for my last two years that primarily handled uh, sexual assault of uh, children. And mm. in that work, I did see for the first time true um, true uh, monsters. I, I, I've mm-hmm. seen, I see some things that I will never talk about, um, but it just, it, it's very disturbing work and the things that those those crimes that are committed are truly, truly uh, hard to, hard to quantify. But aside from that, mm. like I've gone after drug dealers or we've, you know, our, our, when I was in our country, you know, we'll have to be, and you find it when you meet these people, they're really not, you know, your, your vision. They're, they're like really crappy hustlers. Sometimes they're, they're mm-hmm. people that are, you know, this is what they've decided is how the best to pay their bills or put food on the table poor choices sure but like they're not monsters right and mm-hmm. the drug users uh, i mean they come from all walks of life and most of the time cops see them at their absolute low or we as society right you'll see them on the side of the road right uh, you know and you think oh what did they get there i mean uh there's there's people living under the bridge in the city i worked at that were uh, uh very well educated people and and they just got caught up whether it's a car accident or injury and they got stuck on on uh, on oxy for too long, and then when they come off it, mm-hmm. they, they seek it out in in other forms just to keep themselves from being sick. And it just it's this perpetual cycle. So they're not usually monsters. They're it's very aggravating when your car gets broken into because they're trying to feed the habit. When they you know these things, these crimes that come from it. But mm. at the core of it, they're all people. And um, and then so when I do write them, I try to write them as human beings first and then layer in the bad deeds that they do so that you can, you may not like them and probably for the most part shouldn't, but especially when I have them do things, but at the point in time, you at least can see them as a human being because that's super important. And I tried to do that even with the terrorists in my first book. Um, He goes through a tragedy and, and I always thought, what if someone ever hurt, my children, like in a, in a mass attack or a, some, if a, another country did a military strike right. and it hit my kid's school, like what would be my reaction? And mm-hmm. that's kind of the genesis for that character. And so while you will not agree with the, the actions he takes to, in his personal vendetta and, and his, his decision to remedy it, right. um, you can at least understand at, at a core level the anguish that would cause him to get there, whether you agree with what he did or not, what brought him to that point. Right. And do you, do you, do you think that in some way that, that character fall arc, right. And in, in real life, that, that human arc of falling down, um, do you think that that would be mitigated for a lot of these people? Um, you know, if they had those things that, that we talk about seeking out as authors, right? That community, those mentors, that team and wisdom, right? And so, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I think, so it's, it's funny you say that, like 
what is the line that separates somebody from robbing a bank, right? Hmm. Or, or, or to, uh, you know, somebody that, that's out investigating that bank robbery. Like, that, I'm going to be honest, that threat sometimes is really thin. Hmm. You know, I mean, if the wrong uh, pieces are in play in your life and you don't have a network or a, an understanding of how or you can even seek out Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that may provide you some guidance or some assistance or somebody to just talk to. I mean, uh, you can start down a path that you just almost it snowballs itself and you cannot get out of the way of your own actions. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen some really good people make some really bad, bad choices. Um, I had an informant is a great informant, but God, he made some bad choices mm. and, um, and he ended up doing a lot of time in prison and, uh, but to sit there and have a conversation, he was an intelligent person and um, an honest person too, which, you know, you don't hear that often when you speak of like criminal informant, right? But it really just a unique person and, and uh, but he couldn't get out of his own way and he really didn't know any better. I mean, it was kind of, it was where he was surrounded. It's what he knew and um, those kind of, and, and then when you're left to make your own decisions and, and when you run through your mental checklist of what can, what is a possible option mm. and, and you're, you know, your only option, you know, the only thing, you know, from where you're at is selling drugs or robbing people. And then that, that becomes, you know, like option one or option two, like probably uh, going to community college and building up some credits and transferring to a university. Those, those, that, that's not even on the radar. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, yeah. when that's not there, how do you make that choice? Same thing with writers. You know, if you want to switch it to the writer thing without the advice and input that I got early on from some great writers, my books wouldn't have been reshaped into what they are now. Right. And um, I imagine, I imagine the dream wouldn't feel as realistic either. hundred percent. If, if, if didn't I didn't have real yeah. people, you knew like saying, yeah, you can do this. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I was making the decision to leave law enforcement, it was not an easy decision to make because I, I loved being a cop. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's steady, you know, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for being steady. Um, but I reached out to pretty much every author <laughs> that I knew that was, uh, you know, successful, that they were a full-time writer. They were providing for their family as a writer. And I said, Hey, I'm doing this. Mm. And then I would write, should I do this? Mm. And then, you know, it was like, it was a constant. And, you know, I got some, some great, you know, support. They were like, you know, we're going to, we're, we're hey, if it fails, we all fail. Right. You know, it's, you know, you, yeah. And it was good to hear it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad I did it and took the risk. And um, I've talked to some, some business people that have ventured out and done some things against the norm. And, and they mm-hmm. all say there's that moment. Um, where where it looks really dark and it looks like, hey man, uh, and and most people will turn and run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the ones that stay the course uh, that they get to reap the reward of the light at the other end of the tunnel. Right, and it, you know, just to get a quick background because we're, you know, we're talking author to author, right? Sure, and yeah. Talking about how. Well, the dream goes from looking like a dream to looking realistic, and here we are a year, two years later, right? And But at some point, did this look like an unrealistic dream to you? 
to do the writing? Yeah. You mean to even take on the task of, of writing a book or yeah. to, to, to leave yeah, it? Or to have it to write or to think, hey, who am I to think like that I could ever possibly make a living at this? I Yeah. So I went through, I had the idea for book one, oh, so many years ago. Um, I, I had... Uh, it started kind of in the military. It really came into light when I was a cop in Texas. And um, I was out in the city of uh, Georgetown and I used to run um, this little trail by the San Gabriel River, which uh, if you remember the movie of Our City Blues, that's where they filmed the movie. Mm. And so I'd run by the stadium and, and anyone that knows Texas football knows that it's second to, to religion, right? So, um, <laughs> But it was no, at the time, the complex was really, it was really small. Um, but it was a huge venue for, for Friday Night Football. And I would run by it. And I kept thinking to myself, like, you know, because I was on the, the SWAT team, our tactical team then. Mm. And I used to think, you know, you think in those terms because you train for these, like, events. And you think of these mass casualties incidents. Right. I always thought, like, God, how, how easy it would it be? And what if? Uh, softer targets became the target and mm -hmm. and that coupled with some my military experience and some things I learned overseas I just thought my gosh what if and then that slowly became the story but I'll tell you honestly I tried to write this story uh, I would say over 10 years ago mm -hmm. I actually bought a computer my wife still jokes to me I bought a computer I said I'm writing a book and uh, I I think I wrote three pages, maybe 11. It was between three and 11. I think eight of those 11 pages were, were random ideas and not even right. like the story. Right. And it was, it, it just sat there and it became like the running joke. Like, Hey, you working on that book again, you know, and, and it never, we never went anywhere. And I actually read it, um, uh, not, uh, like two years ago. And I was like, Oh my God this sucks. You know? So I, I scrapped whatever I thought I was going to write. And I, uh, and then, I, you know, I came up with, uh, you know, which is now kill list, but it was, uh, Oh my gosh. And, and you learn from those things. Right. And that, if you'd asked me then, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm a confident person by nature, but I, it, it became kind of a, a running joke. Like this is never going to happen. Right. And, and so I, how, how did you get from 10 years ago to two years ago? Hey, you know, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about this again. So, yeah. So I've always been like a storyteller. My, my buddies in my unit will call like the first hour of work for me where I would just stand and I'd recount like my weekend, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like in, in classic fashion, right. Um, not a lot of work got done between the hours of eight and nine. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I felt like I always had the, maybe the verbal ability to tell some, some, some stories. Hmm. Um, but I, I was on a vacation, a little daddy daughter vacation with my, with my teenage daughter. And uh, we were visiting my mom in Florida. We were chatting by the pool. We were just kicking around an idea for like a dystopian novel that, you know, young adult kind of fiction she likes to read. And then I had this idea for a bank robbery and I told her how, how it would go. Not, mm. not real life, like story wise. And she's like, you really need to write this. And then she kept harping on me <laughs> for the rest of the week. When are you going to write it? 
And I said, I'll write it, I'll write it. And then so each morning she'd ask me and I'd said, no, I didn't write it last night. I was too tired, whatever. So she made me promise that by the next time I saw her that I would have written. Mm. And so I flew home uh, and I remember I flew home and it was, uh, I remember the date, it was August 11th. And um, I wrote the first 5,000 words on the flight home of what mm. became Kill List. Now, I wrote the first manuscript in two months and then went through like a six-month revision with it. Right. But uh, by the time she came back to visit us uh, that October, uh, I had finished the rough, very rough uh, manuscript. And I thought that was a good lesson for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the sense that all my girls uh, can grow up knowing that uh, – if you put your mind to something that you can, uh, you can pursue it, you know, and that you should pursue it and right. not let anybody tell you different. Um, and I think there needs to be more of that in the world. If everybody was out there doing something, it's their passion. I think we'd see a lot more happy people. Right. Yeah. I guess like a little better world. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that, that you frame it that way. And it, it sounds like, you know, your daughter, whether, you know, in, in some way growing up had this value, this core value that you could do it. And then you were able to show her that that was true. Right. Yeah. And now she's, you know, entering her sophomore year. She's in her sophomore year of school, high school, and she's doing some great things and she has some big dreams herself. And, and, uh, and, I think it's great for my younger daughters. Um, I have a seven and nine year old and, um, and they see her performing. They see it's so cool when my, my little ones are telling people that I'm a writer, you know, like it's kind of neat because they are with, they're here seeing that journey and um, hopefully they'll remember it. Um, you know, you know, hopefully they'll see the reap the success of it down the road and can say the same impact. Like I remember when we had a hole in our kitchen, you know, and, 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 and these things, you know, X, Y, and Z and, and things are better, you know, and and take some risks in life. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with falling on your butt as long as you dust yourself off and get back up. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think, or do you hear from your family? Like, any difference in how they see you and like how you come across energy wise since you, Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I would say initially I was probably, you know, the thing would be, I was stressed, right. Cause I first <laughs> made the jump and it was just, you know, it's a scary leap. So I put a lot of pressure on myself uh, <laughs> in that regard, but I got to tell you, there's, we had the most unique summer. I've ever had because I was with my, my family the whole summer. I've never had this much time with my wife, my kids, my, my family. And, um, it was awesome. And I mean, if for some reason the sky falls tomorrow and every book I have is (laughs) shut down, like, and I had to return, like I, I say, at least I had that little gem, that little pocket of time that I could, I'll never have to give back. Mm. Um, but I want, I want more of it. I'm not going to lie to you. I want, <laughs> yeah. I want the rest of the, like, I love walking my kids to school. I love that today I'll be picking them up from school. And I just, 
it's just a neat life if I can keep it going. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's addictive and and self reinforcing when you see it that way. Yeah, and then keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep the lights on. Keep the lights on. And, and you know, just a little tangent here about keeping the lights on. Um, do you find that beyond like doing the work of writing to keep producing product so that you keep opening up these revenue streams, right, and building your business? Are there other ways you're having to keep the lights on to make sure that you keep your butt in the seat or keep your fingers on the keyboard? Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I do, um, I work for a a training network uh, for law enforcement. uh, And I've been doing that for years before I even left. Uh, And and so every once in a while, I'll have a, a teaching gig. Mm-hmm. in the uh in the area and and I get in which is fun for me because whether it's a day or five days that I'm teaching uh it's great because I'm teaching cops and so mm-hmm. I get that reconnect uh mm-hmm. back back to those people get to to joke a lot of times most most of the classes have some people I already know in them um because I've been doing this for for a long enough time that I've been uh, lucky enough to really network with a lot of great cops in the state of Connecticut. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that is one of the little side, I call it my side hustle, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of keep things afloat, uh, until things really kick off. But I have, I have high hopes and high expectations The my publishing house is, has been amazingly supportive of, uh, of my, my, they absorb all my old titles, mm-hmm. uh, and books and, and uh gave them a great uh touch and uh and some amazing marketing and then now i've got a new series in the uh, it's going to be my first ever hardcover book Mm -hmm. uh which i'm very excited about it i mean i know some authors that go a very long time without getting that opportunity to have a hardcover in place and so murder board which is uh coming out should be october 15th um Mm -hmm is going to have, is going to be my first hardcover. So I'm, uh, I'm super psyched. To That's go super that exciting. Little, my little, my little library of hardcovers can go in there right well, next congrats. to Lee Child. I'll stick it in there next to Lee Child's book. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe go to the bookstore and, uh, see where yeah. you were seeing like what author <laughs> names are next to Shay. Or I'll just go and move them. I'll just go and I'll just <laughs> shift them and put it in the front of, uh, like, say, a Barnes & Noble. Just throw my book in front of it. You know, why not? Right. Alphabetic, al- alphabetically. <laughs> right next to child. Yeah, it's weird. We're a little off here. Right. I used to do that. I used to go to the library. I used to love it. I used to slowly pull my books out so that they were more visible at the library. <laughs> my local library. I just, like, I put them out, like, on a table. Just walk, around, <laughs> walk away. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> It's good. Keeps it real. Hey, so maybe one of my final questions. If so, you were a teacher for a while. Yeah. And, and let's say that you were to take all the wisdom and experiences you've accumulated in the time since then and to either go back, you know, either for a day or to develop a curriculum, say for the same audience and try to instill you know that confidence and that permission to dream and all that like what would you do differently over in your control 
You know, it's, it's funny. So I, I still keep in touch, even if it's just through like, you know, whatever, like, you know, Facebook, some of my students from, from, are they're all college grads, some of them now. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, some of the ones I taught here, I bump into, uh, every once in a while. And, uh, I think back to my time in Georgia and I was super connected to my kids there, my students, they were just a fantastic two years, a great school, really. And I, I think when I look at kids at that age, like that fifth grade age, they really start to come into their own. Like I can, I can literally picture like the dreams they had like locked into their mind. Hmm. And I, and I saw it as a teacher, their potential. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, this person is going to change the world. And, and that doesn't always happen. Right. It was, we age like life sometimes beats the crap out of us. And sometimes those lights that were so bright years ago, I can tell are not as bright now. And it's, and I would, I would tell them if I could never lose sight of that, of that feeling, right. That, that, that sense of like limitless potential, right. Because each one of us has different potentials, different strengths, different weaknesses, things that we really excel at. And sometimes, even things we're ex- we excel at, we get, we get the naysayers in the world, the people that tell you, and I don't know how many times people have told me, you can't do it. You're an idiot. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like even when I was leaving to, to pursue the writing, I, 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 was quite a few people told me I was crazy. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes I say grinding out, 20 or 30 years in one position is crazy. Right. And staying in one and not following kind of like your own path and not cutting your own path and, and knowing what you're good at and then tucking it away. Cause somebody told you it's not possible. Yeah. I don't believe it. I believe everything is possible. If you have the ability to shut that out and the ability to get up every time you fail, mm. Uh, or come short of what that was supposed to be, and you don't give up, then absolutely, I think every every dream is is possible. Right. I know it sounds like maybe hokey, or no, I think that's or, great. Or, um, I think I think one of the one of the risks, like one of the traps, we fall into is we go into these environments where we're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing we are. And none of us are following our dream except for maybe some small handful of people. Um, yeah. It's kind of self-reinforcing for the mindset because there's nobody in your network, right, in your day-to-day life who's following their passion. And it may be easier to get disconnected from that. Um, yeah. I mean, how many people do you ask, like, A, do you love what you're doing? They might give you, like, oh, I like the paycheck. Or I like uh, my coworkers or my boss is great or, you know, cause those were all things I, I had, I had yeah. great coworkers, I had great bosses. Um, I enjoyed the work, but like I now know the difference between enjoyment and true passion for something. And, and I feel mm-hmm. it every day. Um, and, and, you know, I've got young, I've got my, my teenager, she wants to, save lives and be a fighter pilot. Right. I, I don't right. know how the two are going to marry, but she's going to do it. And, and I tell her to do it. And my youngest wants to be a fashion designer. Awesome. 
then we we she draws outfits like daily. She's already creating her own ideas of mm. you know. And, and my other one wants to be a vet and run a farm. I don't know. She's in there and they're. But here's the thing: how many times did you? You know, I, I, everyone's different, but like, you know, you tell somebody I'm going to do this and a lot of time you get scoffed at, right? Like, oh, she can't yeah. do that. Oh, you're never going to do that. Oh, do you know how hard it is to get into that school? Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I brought it up. You know, like you just, yeah, you hear other people's stories about why they can't do it. Right. One of the authors I, I have, uh, who's really, uh, been huge in my growth and connecting me with other authors and, and he's just been just, just awesome. And, and he just says, don't listen to people that suck. You know I mean? It's, it's such a, such a true thing though. Right. Like, why would you listen? Like a lot of people that give advice have never done anything. Yeah. Right? Like, but we listen to them, right? We look you know, someone's going to tell you, Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, really? Did you, but, but they're making the paycheck, man. And right. they've, got, yeah. they've got the things they got. They got, yeah. They'll, they'll tell you every, Hey, you shouldn't do that. Or I, I wouldn't do that. Oh, Oh, you know, like, honestly, the, the thing that pushed, pushed me over the edge personally was I was about 20 years into my tech career and working at a large corporation. And I had the survival skills of how to, like, stay happy overall. Sure. And I became really sensitive to, like, people's potential and talent and whether they were happy or not. And it was just such a drag to go to work and have like literally 80%, like eight out of 10 people come across just like disconnected on autopilot, miserable, big dreams that are never going to happen until they hit age 55 and, you know, just hanging on. I was like, I can't, that can't be me. And like, maybe if I do it, like just we'll give an example to other people that, Hey, you don't have to wait. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, same way. Hopefully some people see my decision and my risk as, you know, life is a series of risk versus reward, right? Like I'll never let them shut my lights off. Right. So that's, so if, if for some reason that means doing something else, uh, at some point, then I would do that. But I don't think that's going to be the case because I think I've started to line some things up that'll, but you're right. There are people out there that I knew what 19 more years on the job mm. looked, looked like for me, both yeah. probably physically. Uh, Cause I've seen a lot of people that have, that have done their time and they, they come up and, and what, what do you have left now? You've done it. You're, you're retired. You, you hit that number. And right how much real living do you have left in those bones? Right. And I, I, probably not much. Certainly and, your capacity day to day is lower than it is today. Yeah. And I could also calculate what I, I could, I could tell you after 19 years based on it, potential promotions and blah, 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 pretty much my retirement, you know, within, you know, obviously there'd be some adjustments as, mm-hmm. as you know, whatever, but it would, it, I knew what it would be. I knew yeah. where I was at. I, yeah. I can I can tell you this. I have no idea what 19 years of writing is going to give me and my family. And yeah. hopefully it's uh, it's something totally different. And it's something that I can look back and say, like, that was a smart move. Right. Well, if nothing else, it's giving your children hope. Right. right. Yeah. Maybe they'll go off and 
and save the world, you know? Who knows? Yeah. Well, I don't think that's true. I think you're already successful by by my own definition of success, which is, you know, you're, you seek support, you're supported, you're following your muse and your passion, you're doing things with intention and working on your craft and always getting better and being willing to be supported. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah. And so how can listeners find you? Uh, they can hit me up on Facebook. Uh, pretty easy to find it. I think it's just Brian Christopher Shea or I don't know. I don't even know my, I should know my, um, on Instagram too. I think the same thing. Uh, and, uh, Twitter, uh, I think it's Brian C. Shea on Twitter. And, uh, my, uh, if you, I think Brian Christopher Shea.com is a, is an easy way to find me too. There's an email link there. And cool. And, I'll, and I'll have, updates. I'll have this in, uh, the show notes for, for people um and then uh yeah so i love to hear from people that have read the work uh it's I, I for me i i respond to each and every email personally so um usually within a day sometimes within an hour depending on if my kids are in bed or not you know i mean i'm, I'm pretty quick when they're not around but they are uh they occupy my time when when they are yeah that's for sure how it should be yep well brian it's been a pleasure Ethan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, great, great chat with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.